what we have here uh, every year we come across this passage in our gospel, a very, uh, very difficult passage, very tough passage, our Lord's teaching on marriage and divorce. And the Lord has a few things to observe and talk about today that I had in my mind. Um, I know there's a book that was written, it was very interesting, it was uh, Pope Emeritus Benedict, uh, I think while he was yeah, while he was still Pope, when he was still in the papal office, he wrote a book as a private theologian, not in his capacity as, as a Pope, but just in his capacity as a private theologian. He wrote a book on, a few books on Christ's meditations in the Gospels. And he interacts with a Jewish scholar, um, uh, I believe it's Neusner, uh, Rabbi Joseph Neusner. Um, and it's interesting because what happens is, is Neusner goes over the Gospels very closely from a, a Jewish rabbinical perspective, okay? And he basically concludes, you know, I can't follow this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, because he comes on the scene and he essentially uh, is claiming to replace the temple. He's claiming to replace the Sabbath. He's claiming to replace even the law itself. Who does this guy think he is? It's crazy. I can't. And what he does, he kind of takes a sort of imagination, imaginary trip back 2,000 years ago, and he imagines himself as a Jewish person who is hearing and observing Jesus, and uh, he's thinking to himself, what would I be thinking as a devout, observant Jewish person at that time? And those are the thoughts that he would be thinking, he imagines. Jesus claims to replace all of these things. This guy is like a maniac or something. I can't, this is, this is, I can't follow. And uh, Pope uh, Benedict makes the point, he's like, you know, he's right, and he's, you know, he's, he's correct that Jesus makes these claims, okay, but the only difference is that they're actually true, that right? they really are true. Jesus was so authoritative, you understand, you hear his words, especially from a Jewish perspective, he was so authoritative when he came. That it's not, he's not just like one more teacher, one more rabbi who's going to interpret the law for us and, and help us observe the law. He's coming in, in place of the law. He's coming in place of the temple. He's coming in place of the Sabbath. And who does he think he is? God? Well, yeah, actually. He does. And, and he's worked the miracles to prove it and he rose from the dead. And, so it's a really big, momentous thing. We see that same dynamic taking place here in our passage today. Jesus is coming and saying, it was written in the Old Testament. Whoever wants to divorce his wife has got a right of old divorce. Now, that law from Moses was actually meant to be a humane uh, thing, because back in the day, possibly, a husband could lose his temper and say, you know what, you're divorced, get out of here. Okay. So what Moses did by making there's bill of divorce being written, so then the guy's got to go to the legislature, to the magistrates, and he's got to go and people, and there's this whole process of checks and balances that's going to slow him down and say, okay, maybe I don't want to divorce my wife. So it really, it, it was a, actually um, a defense mechanism that was put in place really in the benefit of women. So Moses's legislation here is humane to an extent, okay? It's meant to sort of check the sinful intentions of the human heart. But now Christ comes, and he gives us the solution to the sinful heart. That's the whole idea. 
so that, you know, in other passages, Jesus says, Moses gave you this law because the heart is of your heart. But Christ comes and he rejuvenates the heart and makes it new from the inside out. Okay? The Old Testament law could not do that. It only worked on people from the outside in. Constrained them, threatened them, warned them, taught them, and enlightened them, but didn't change them. Jesus came and changed us. So that's the difference. That's why he says whoever looks at a woman is committed adultery because Jesus is committed adultery with his heart. His concern is with the heart. And because he's come and he's changed the hearts of his disciples, he's going to establish a whole new regime when it comes to marriage. He's going to bring it all the way back to the beginning and he's going to do something more. He's going to elevate it to the level of the sacrament. So Jesus comes as this massive authority and he wipes away the past when it comes to marriage and he reestablishes it. And his followers are the only followers, are the only people who have, uh, in the world, ever, in the history of the universe, in the history of humanity, who have ever said, no divorce. Okay, that's how unique Christianity is when it comes to that. And as we learn, as, as Christ's teachings unfold, we learn it's not because he wants to be a big meaning to limit our options and our freedoms and so forth and so on. It's because he's taking marriage and he's elevating it to be a sacrament of his love for the church. And just as he, his love for the church is unbreakable, it's indissoluble, so also that, that sacrament of marriage is meant to be that way as well. Now just to, Kind of like a little side note here. We, we, uh, as a priest, I deal with more annulments than I deal with marriages. Okay, this is the reality of the state that we're in today. And uh, when you really get into the kind of like the, the logic and the theology of annulments, it's uh, there's really a lot to learn. Actually, it's very edifying and positive. The Church, over centuries and centuries and centuries, guided by the Holy Spirit, has reflect, reflected upon both the nature of marriage, because marriage is a natural institution that's existed from the beginning of humanity. Yeah, it will always exist, even though it's getting taken upon me right now, that's for sure. But you know, it is a natural institution that's embedded in the nature of things. We can't we didn't invent it. We can't make it to be what we want it to be. It's just there. Okay. It's part of the created order. So the church reflecting upon the created order and then also reflecting upon the deposit of faith positive divine revelation that God gave to us through Christ has delineated three essential constituent elements of marriage. Number one, you have the two people consenting to the proper thing. Okay? So like two people who enter into marriage with the idea that they can, with their spouse's consent, have relations with someone else, like uh, the idea of an open marriage, for example. It's not marriage. Alright? So if two people consent to that, guess what? It's not a marriage. They didn't, even though it might be a marriage in the books, it's not a marriage in reality. Okay? So if you got the thing, that's the one element, what are they consenting to? Number two, that they're freely consenting, that there isn't any kind of impediment, internal or external, that's stopping them from getting their consent on both parties. So it's got to be freely consented to. There's a thing that's consented to. There's a, uh, the act of consenting to it. And it's part of both parties. And then there's this third element. It's, it's uh, the consent is legitimately manifested. And that's the, that's the final uh, aspect that uh, 
what makes a marriage. And it's very, that, that to me I find very interesting because what you have is, so the question can be framed like this, who is the society in relation to which you are most obliged when it comes to marriage? Okay. Uh, what is the society to which you are first and foremost answerable when it comes to marriage? Because marriage is not, it's not just this private contract between two people. Society has an interest and a right to regulate marriage. Marriage is a social reality as well as a private individual reality. And oftentimes people don't really get that today. They think it's just this, you know, two lovebirds floating off in the space or something like that. It's got no relation to anybody else. It's two families coming together. It's the building block of society. Okay. So society has an interest in it and that's why from time immemorial, societies all over the world have always regulated marriage and have had the right by nature to do so. Okay. And those societies can't just make up whatever marriage is, but they, they have to abide by its intrinsic nature. Um, but they do have a right to regulate it. And so the question remains is what society are you first and foremost answerable to when it comes to the institution, when it comes to the contract, the marriage contract? If you are a Protestant, or if you are unbaptized, and you are a member of the state of New York, then New York is actually the society that you are first and foremost responsible to when it comes to institutional marriage. So if there's two people, just hypothetically speaking, who are unbaptized and they're walking around on the street and they meet each other and they say, hey, you want to get married right here right now? Can you just exchange consent and let's do it right here right now? And the other person, yeah, let's do that. And they both, I take you to be my wife, and I take you to be my husband, so and so on. Is that a marriage? No, right? Because there's no, it's not been legitimately manifested, all right? There's no person that's there that's been deputed that's representing New York State. That's there representing the state, okay, to receive and to witness that exchange of promises and consent. So they've got to go before a justice of the peace, they've got to go before a judge, they've got to go before whatever. And that person then has been, you know, he represents New York State. And that's how marriage works, okay, and that's totally right. Now, what about the case of Catholics? How do, how, how do Catholics manifest their consent legitimately? What's the society to which they first and foremost owe their obligations when it comes to institution of marriage? The church, not the state. Okay, the Catholic Church, not the state. So, so often, so often, so often, Catholics, in good faith, they have, they just do not know this. They don't understand it. They go and they get married before justice of the peace, instead of in the church, and they don't realize church is a sacrament. Okay, and God has given the church the right and prerogative to administer the sacraments properly. Or to make sure that is that they're administered properly. So this is that to me I find that very, uh, very, very consoling in, in a certain sense. I find that the church is an awesome bulwark. It's this huge, um, uh, like a maternal spirit that embraces us to her bosom. And keeps us safe and guides us, and it, 
yeah, there's serious consequences when we go outside of the bounds, outside of the bounds. But the flip side of that is that remaining within her and abiding by her guidance, we are established and grounded and safe cosmically. Uh, and, and what, what an awesome, uh, sense of peace and security that brings. Um, and so, you know, the Lord says to us here in, in, uh, our gospel, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife unless the marriage is unlawful. Okay, so there are unlawful marriages, for example, if, a, if a marriage has not been legitimate, if the consent has not been legitimately manifested, um, for Catholics. It's gotta be manifested before someone imputed by the church, priest, deacon, whoever it might be. So there's a specific form that we have to follow while the church sets that down. And it does that to remind us that this is a sacrament. This is not a private contract between two individuals, two members or citizens of New York State, that this is a holy uh, covenant that's being entered into that's meant to embody the love of Christ for the church. So oftentimes it's not very difficult if two Catholics have entered into a civil union, um, they can do convalidation. It's not difficult at all. They just can for a priest and they exchange their vows for a priest. It's not, it's not difficult. We priests do this all the time. But it's just a point to, to make that the first society that we as Catholics are answerable to is the society that Jesus Christ instituted in the Catholic Church. He's not messing around. He really is a big deal. He came to replace the temple. He came to replace the Sabbath. He came to replace the law. He took marriage and he he completely cleared the table and reinstituted it, brought it back to the beginning, elevated it to a sacrament. It's really a big deal, and, and Jesus is a, is a big deal. Um, and as Catholics, uh, we can be we can really be thankful for uh, all of that which He has done uh, and who He is and what He is to us in, in, in relation to marriage as well.